Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Sis, we've got to uh, shift gears a little bit here. And uh, you can stop recording. Because I also, I, I've had the privilege of partnering in the gospel with Rion for the last couple of years through, uh, through some of the work that they do uh, through the Recycle Swap Shop. And uh, as a mate that I love dearly, VP, it's been wonderful to know that uh, he's had a friend in Cape Town. And so, for what it's worth, uh, bless you. We love you. We love your family. We thank you for the gift that you are to the bride of Christ. And, uh, and we will be praying for you as you go. And I'm glad I now have a home in England to come and visit. All right. You can start at the back. And the countdown coming. You know, you have to take me back. You have to take me back. So this is what I've heard. I've heard that the 1030 Life Changes Table View congregation is the best one to preach at. And so uh, I have been looking forward to this. I, I had a warm-up at 8.30. I had a fine-tuning at 9.30 at Millie's. And uh, I'm trusting that you are going to get the real deal. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. I'll try not to mess it up in the, works of v, in the words of VP. So I want to ask you a question as we kick off. I want to ask you this. Honest question. You don't have to respond to me, but you do need to respond to the question. Do you think that you are living the life that Jesus intended for you to live in fullness and abundance? If you're like me, you'd probably answer, not really. There may be some areas in your life that you feel are full and God's grace has been upon you and you're in abundance. We've got seven children and uh, our lives are full and we have been blessed by them. But there are also some areas of our lives that uh, I kind of go, oh, there we go. There's my crew of seven with my wife and uh, we have a whole lot of fun as a family and they fill my life, and it is absolutely delightful. We can take that off. <laughs> no, I want, you, I want you to focus here, not there. But there are some areas of my life that I know are not in the fullness of what God intended for me. If I were to put them out and hold them out, go like, ah, oh God, I, that can't be all. That can't be it. And my guess is that you would be in a similar scenario or similar situation. And what I want to help us do today is to take a step forward into the life that God intended. You see, the Scriptures teach us that Jesus came that we may have life, but not just have life, that we may have life to the full. Or some, some interpretations say, in abundance. But there would be few of us saying, hey, I have an abundant life. Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 2 says this, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Now, that latter part of that scripture kind of speaks to me. It kind of says, that's what life in fullness looks like. It says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. We're trying hard. I've got seven Mungavans, five boys. The Mungavan name is going to extend. I will bless you. I'm up for that. I will make you famous. Yeah, some of my little, you know, maybe wicked hearts. I, I like that. And you will be a blessing to others. I'm all up for that. That's what life in abundance looks like. But what we forget is we want to all take hold of that. But what we don't want to do is do the first part, which is, hey, guys, you need to leave. Another way of saying leave is arise and go. Arise and go. That's what God's call is. Arise and go. His call is break camp. Language you've been using here over the last couple of weeks. Arise and go. We don't so much like that. And it says leave your native country your relatives, your father's family, and go to a land I will show you. Okay, God, where is it? No, 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 come on the journey and I will show you. No, 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 I want to know where it is before I start. No, 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 come on the journey and I will show you. And it gets to every insecurity in our hearts because I want to control where I'm going. I want to know where I'm going. I want to put it into Google Maps and know that I'm going to get there. And God says, no, 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 that's not what faith looks like. That's not what abundant life looks like. I've come that you may have life and have an abundance, but actually that part of that is knowing that I'm good and I'm God and I will give you everything that you need. And so I want to help us today go on that journey. You see, sometimes what we do is we forget what part, what stage of history of human life we live in. You see, there was Good Friday. And Good Friday was the day that Jesus died in order to pay the penalty that was due us. So before Jesus died, everybody was living like, ah, woe is me, I'm guilty. What can I do? Then Jesus died to pay the price. Then there was Resurrection Sunday. And that's when God approved of the price that Jesus paid in order that we may have life. He says, okay, the penalty's been paid, I now give you life. That was Jesus' resurrection. Then 40 days after that, Jesus went to be with the Father. There was the ascension. In the Christian calendar, it's called Ascension Day. And then 10 days after that, or 50 days after Jesus rose uh, from the dead, it's called Pentecost Sunday. Now, for those that are following the Christian calendar, that just means the Spirit of God was poured out upon all humanity. Then there is a day that's still coming when Jesus is going to return, and He's going to wrap up this earth, and He's going to recreate it. And so we live in an age after Jesus has died for us, after the Father's approved of that, after the Father has taken Jesus up to continue His work there, the work of salvation is finished, but Jesus is continuing to pray for you today, forever living to intercede for you, the Scriptures teach us, and the Spirit of God has come to empower us to, new, to, to fullness of life. We live post that. And I think sometimes what we do is we forget where we live, and sometimes we walk around full of guilt and shame, forgetting that Jesus has died for us. Or we walk around looking for Jesus in that kind of period where uh, between Jesus going up to heaven and the Spirit of God coming out, and we're kind of looking for Jesus, we can't find him, we can't find him because we forget that the Spirit of God has come to us. And we need to remind us, I've come to remind you today that you live in an age where God Himself in the Spirit, is with you. For those that have called on the name of Jesus. St. Augustine says this, an early church father, he says, 
when Adam and Eve were created, they were created perfect. But they were created able to sin. Then Eve gave in to the desires of her heart. And what happened there, there was like a whole lot of wickedness that came in and rebellion and all of that stuff. And there was a period where humanity was unable not to sin. Then Jesus came and did what he did. And there's an age where we are able not to sin. And there will come a time when Jesus comes again and we will receive our glorified bodies where it, we will be unable to sin. Okay, I, I don't know if you followed all of that. So we start off with we were perfect but able to sin. Then there was a period where we were unable not to sin, bound to our human condition. Then there's a period where we are able not to sin. We are humans. We have a human condition, but by the Spirit of God, we are able not to sin. And then there will come a time when we will never be able to sin. We live in an age where we are able not to sin. I don't know if you believe that. I've come here to tell you that you live in an age where you are able not to sin. Your human condition has been redeemed by Christ himself and by the Spirit of God. We can walk in freedom and life and life to the full. I want us to look at a few things today as we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 11 to 13 says this. Now these things happen to them as an example. Them is Israel. Okay, so it's the people of God pre-Jesus. And so some of us can read this and go, ah, okay, it's a, like a history lesson. But then Paul goes out of his way to say, but they were written down for our instruction. So these things happen to them, but you can learn from it. Are we prepared to learn from the Scriptures today? Sometimes we just read the Scriptures as though they are disconnected from us because they happen to other people. Again, I want to tell you that the Scriptures apply to us. This is life to us. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Here we go. Concentrate. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. What does that mean? It means if you have ever said, yeah, I get you've gone through situations, Richard, but you just don't understand mine. You said that? Can I have some honest people in here? Okay. Here's the deal. Either the scriptures are lying or you're lying, you're deceiving yourself. Because the scriptures say, no temptation has overtaken you, me, this is written for our benefit, that is not common to man. Therefore, what you are experiencing is common to man. The scriptures are a liar, or you believing a lie. I believe the scriptures tell the truth, which means actually I've got to rewire my mind to believe something different. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will provide the way of escape. I remember when I was uh, a young man, uh, or an old boy, or whichever way around it was going, and I started to take an interest in young ladies. And uh, my dad had to teach me something. I, I hope he was just teaching me a valuable lesson, and he hadn't caught me doing something, and therefore had to teach me. But regardless, I live in Durban. Uh, Durban has a whole lot better weather than here, and the ladies dress in less clothes than what I see here. And so for a young man who's starting to notice young ladies, sometimes my eyes were drawn places they shouldn't have been drawn. And my dad had to say, Richard, bounce. 
bounce. Dad, what does that mean? He says, Rich, when your eyes drop, bounce them. Bounce them. Look, look in that young lady's eyes, Richard. Bounce. 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 You'll all remember that story. This is what God is saying. That with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape. Sometimes what we do is we forget that God has provided a way of escape. And we give in to our human condition. And we just say, I'm helpless. This is just me. I am just human. But God has said, no, 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 bounce your eyes. And what I want to help us to do today is help us to learn to look for a way out, to learn to bounce our eyes, to understand that when we find ourselves in situations that seem to be robbing us of life, or maybe we're unable to take a step forward, we're able to go bounce, 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 bounce. Look for the way out. Look for the way out because you are not experiencing anything that is not uncommon to man. Your situation is not worse than anybody else's if we can believe it. And so there are three things that I want to look at today, which I hope will help us take a step forward where we will arise and go. There are some of us that feel like we want to move into the fullness of what God has for us. We want to move into life and life in abundance, but we feel stuck. We don't know how to do that. I'm hoping that I can help you. Then there are other people who are stuck in life and God's calling you to arise and go and you're going, she's rich. My life is actually doing quite well, thank you. I'm quite comfortable where I am. But God is saying to you, arise and go. There is greater blessing. You can be a greater blessing. There is more for you. Will you come with me on a journey to a land that I will show you? But you have to arise and go. I want to talk to you as well today. So the first thing we're going to look at is passing the test passing the test. This is what happens to us. If we want to take a step forward in God into the fullness of what God has for us, sometimes we, we need to understand that God tests us. Oftentimes we just think, well, it's only Satan or the enemy or uh, the evil one or whatever you want to refer to him as. It's only him who tests us. And we don't recognize that God wants to do that too in order to qualify us. But what we have to do is we have to know who's testing us. Because the scriptures say, flee temptation, flee the test of the devil, but embrace the test of God. What I find as a pastor for the last, I don't know, two decades, what I find is people, what they do is they embrace the test of the enemy and they reject the test of God. And then they wonder, why am I not walking in blessing? Why am I not walking in the fullness of God? Because we confuse who's testing us. We embrace the wrong test. And so I want to try and help us to embrace the right test and help us move forward. So this is what we do. There are two words, translated test. So when we come to English, we read our Bible, and it just says test. And we don't know that that's tested by the enemy or tested by God, because it just says test. That's why it's helpful to have guys that study the Word of God to come and teach you. And so there is a word that is given to God for His test, and it's a different word that's still translated, translated test in English, given for the enemy. And they have two different meanings. And so I want to help us understand this. So when God tests us, the word used test is like a teacher testing a student. Now, I don't know if we've got any teachers out here, but uh, a teacher will teach all year and then set a test. And the hope of that teacher is that your student will pass. 
I don't believe that there should be a teacher, or if there is a teacher, that would set a test for you to fail. They haven't gone to 12 months of trying to teach you things in order that you stay in their class next year. Every teacher wants you to pass. That's what God does. When he tests you, his desire is that you would pass the test and therefore take a step forward into greater levels of life. That you'd go from grade 3 to grade 4. You'd go from grade 9 to grade 10. When the word test is used for the enemy testing you, it's like a high jump adjudicator. And what they keep doing is they keep raising the bar to find the level that you fail at. And so what the enemy does is he keeps coming to look. Ah, five years ago, you made that mistake. Now you're in the same position. Are we going to hit you again? Are we going to hit you again? Are we going to hit you again? Ah, I found that thing. Ah, Rich, you didn't bounce your eyes. You looked a little bit long. Was the initial look now become lust? I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. The enemy comes in order to set a bar to find that level where he can hold you and grip you in order for you to fail. Give you an example. I was... I had the privilege of studying down here at Cape Town University, and uh, statistics was a subject I had to do, and I was touch and go as to whether I could pass statistics. I, I was not very good at it. Uh, so when it came time for the exam, the end of your exam, I'm one of those guys, I get distracted very easily. And so I always take myself to the front and into the corner, because the guy in front of me who has a nervous twitch and he's clicking the pen, you know that thing? Click, 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 click. And all I want to do is just politely tell him, stop it. So I just remove all of that distraction. I went to sit in the front. Two minutes after I start my statistics exam, there's a fire door right here, an exit fire escape. A jackhammer starts going for the two hours of the exam. It's like, could UCT maintenance department not talk to UCT examinations department and just get it right? But now I'm here, and I have a professor who has set an exam before me whose desire is that I would pass because he hasn't worked all that to make me fail. He does not want it on his record that one of his students didn't make it through. Then there is a jackhammer guy outside the door, just, just out there, I just can't see him, trying his darndest to make me fail because he's distracting me from the test in front of me. And what ends up happening with us as a way of example is God puts tests before us in order to qualify us, in order for us to move more into the fullness of life. And we've got this jackhammer going. And our mind goes like this. And we don't know which one to take hold of. Which one? The distraction is coming. The distraction is coming. But I have an exam in front of me. And what we do is we flee from oftentimes from God, and we embrace the enemy. I, I embraced the jackhammer and failed that statistics exam because my attention went to the wrong thing. I want to help us understand, so how does Jesus test us, and how does the enemy test us? How can we identify this? Okay, I get like the theory, Rich, but how does this practically work out? So the Scriptures tell us this. Jesus says he comes like a farmer with a, with a whole lot of wheat with a winnowing fork. Now, a winnowing fork is one of those big forks, and it's got three or four prongs on it, and the farmer would stick it into the wheat, throw it up into the air, and then what would happen is the chaff, which is all the, the useless stuff, all the dust, the little leaves, the, little, the stuff that's lighter, 
than the wheat itself, would get blown off in the wind and the wheat would fall to the ground. And the farmer would do this and do this. And up, up in the air it gets thrown and down on the ground it falls. Up in the air and progressively the wheat gets refined and it becomes more and more valuable. What the enemy does, Jesus comes to Peter. There's another scripture and, it's, and he says, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. To sift you. I don't know about you, I, I, I don't really hang out in the kitchen, but a, a, a sieve is like a silver thing with holes. And you put stuff in it, and you shake it, and good stuff goes through, and bad stuff remains. That's what I'm told in my research. And, uh, but the sieve, what remains is the bad stuff. And so Jesus says, the enemy wants to sift you, but Jesus comes like a winnowing fork. What does that look like, friends? Now, if I were wheat and I had emotions, you know, because everything has emotions nowadays. If I had emotions and I could feel and I get thrown into the air and then land on the floor again, this is, this is my emotional experience. Fork goes in. Ah! Thrown up in the air. Whoa! Land on the ground. Ah! And many of us don't recognize that as Jesus and so we go, how, well, God wouldn't put us through this stuff. I'm not a, why must I embrace this? But the weighty stuff remains. The DNA of God, the focus is on the DNA of God. No, 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 no. Wayne, you acted unkindly there. Ah! Let me throw that up in the air. Whoa. Maybe I need to say sorry to that person for the way I spoke to them. Land on the floor. Ah! But what remains is a kinder version of Wayne. The beauty of Jesus. What the enemy does, he sifts us. Ah, shame. Shame. I know what you did 20 years ago. I know what you did yesterday. Oh, let me shake up your life. Let me shake it up. Let me shake it up. I know what you did. Check it all of this stuff. Oh, cheapers, Rich, you're 40 years old. You've got quite a track record behind you of decisions that weren't so good. How can you trust your next decision? If you want to know if the test is from the enemy or if the test is from Jesus, what remains? What is the focal point of the test? Your guilt, your shame, your rubbish, or the DNA of God? Then you'll know what to embrace and what to flee from, what to reject. Second thing, as we move on, is this polluted humanity. We have to understand who we are ourselves. You see, sometimes, sometimes what we do is we just give Satan too much credit for what he's doing. And we just play over as though we're some neutral party in this heavenly war between God the Spirit and Satan the Spirit. And we just kind of go like, okay, who's going to win? Who's going to win? Ah, uh, a given. Are given and therefore can't walk into life eternal or life in fullness. We have to understand our polluted humanity, friends, because what I want to tell you is this. Satan can't cause you to sin. Jesus is the only creator. Satan is not a creator. What happens is our own brokenness, our own earthly desires start to come to the surface and then the enemy, like a high jump uh, adjudicator, starts to go, oh, I can jump on that. I can jump on that. Let me, let me just hold your gaze there, Rich, for just a little bit longer. 
Let me just hold your gaze. Let me just hold your gaze. Friends, you need to believe that Satan cannot cause you to sin. It's your own earthly desire that he jumps on. But if we do not understand that, we feel disempowered in this journey of faith with God to a new land. No, you are empowered by the Spirit of God to identify that we have our own war going on inside of us, this fleshly war. And as we submit to the Spirit of God, we're able to submit our desires to Him and not give the distraction of the jackhammer any cause for further damage. Let me help you understand this. James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15, it says this. Picking it up midway through. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, friends, it's our own earthly desire that starts to come to the fore, and we've got to recognize it, and as it comes out, we've got to give it assessment, and we've got to go, okay, let's recognize this. There's a desire for this. There's a desire for this. Is this of God? Is this not of God? God, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? You have the ability. We live in an age where we are able not to sin by the empowering of the Spirit of God. This is what happens with desire when we give into it, friends, when we give into it. We start to become calloused. And so I want to give you an example. 20-odd years ago, I started canoeing. We all know canoeing, otherwise this example is going to fall flat. Canoeing, like you're in a boat, you've got a, a stick with two buckets on the end, and you're paddling, canoeing, kayaking. We got it? Nod your heads. Show me engagement. Okay, good. So what happened is I started, but my hands weren't designed. They hadn't... Had, they, they had no practice at canoeing. And so what started to happen is I put my hands on that shaft and you start going and you start wearing yourself over kilometers is I started to rip all of my fingers along the, the joint of the finger to the palm of the hand. It started to rip open and it started to get quite sore. And being in Cape Town, I learned to paddle down here. In the summer, we could get out into the ocean and then salt water gets in. Yeah, you, you can feel my pain, huh? Salt water gets in. But then the second time I go out, it's sore. The third time, it's less sore. The fourth time, it's less sore. Fifth time, I notice some hard skin forming over that. And then the sixth time and the seventh time, and slowly there's calluses growing. And eventually, it's like, oh, this is not painful at all. I can go for kilometers, no issue. And this is what happens when we give in to the desires of our heart, because what we do is the first time we give in, it kind of goes like, ah, that hurt. God, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. The second time, it's like, ah, I'm sorry. Third time, ah. Fourth time, life is normal. And as we have these calluses on our hands, or calluses on our heart, that which is designed to be painful because it's hurting the body, gets gone, it, it gets grown over. But the bigger deal was this. As I started to get calluses on my hands, which was helpful for paddling, but unhelpful in, the, in giving in to the desires of my heart, as I came to be intimate with my bride, I could no longer feel her. My hands had no sensitivity. And then this is what we end up doing. This is what it looks like. We give in, we give in, we give in, we give in, we become calloused, and then we go... See, Jesus, you're not with me. And Jesus is going, no, I'm being intimate with you. You just can't feel me. 
Because you've got calluses everywhere. See, Jesus' desire is that we would be intimate with Him. He is being intimate with us. But we have to recognize that there's desires in our heart, which when we give in to them, they start to form calluses. And then we wonder, why am I not walking in the fullness of life? Why am I not walking in the blessing of God? 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17. So we go, okay, God, I, I get this. What does it actually look like? 1 John 2, 15 to 17. It says, uh, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so there's three things. Three things that I believe all desire kind of falls into. Firstly, we see this, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life. So lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride. And this is exactly what the enemy did to Eve. So she was created perfect, but with the ability to sin, but she had earthly desires. And so what does he do? He creates, uh, or he comes to her, he can't create anything. He comes to her and says, oh, you see this fruit? It's good for you. And it will make you be like God. And what's her response? Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, that it was delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, like you can be like God. Oh, that, that sounds nice. Pride. What does she do? She gives in to her own desires as the enemy sits upon her desires. She falls. And an age enters into humanity where we are unable not to sin. Here's the good news. Jesus comes from the heavens to earth in human form. In human form. And before he starts his ministry, he goes for 40 days and he fasts, so he's pretty hungry. The enemy comes and says, I got this one. For all these thousands of years, I've been getting humans. I've got this one. And he does the same thing. And he says, Jesus, you're hungry. You can turn these stones into bread. And Jesus, the lust of the flesh, you can turn these stones into bread. No, no, no. Man shall not live on bread alone. He rejects Satan. Second thing, he says, okay. I'm going to catch you with your eyes. Let's go up a mountaintop. All the kingdoms of the earth, all these kingdoms are yours. You can have them. Jesus says, no, it's okay. Satan's probably a little worried now. He goes, okay, I'll go one more. I'm going to appeal to his pride. Now that we're up a mountain, Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down and command the angels to rescue you. Appeals to his pride, if you are the son of God. What do you mean, if I'm the son of God? Do I need to show you that I'm the Son of God? What does Jesus do? No. 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 Rejects the enemy. And so everything that Eve could not say no to, the desires of her flesh, the desires of her eyes, and the lust of her heart, Jesus is able to go, I overcome the desires of my flesh, I overcome the desires of my heart, and I overcome, or, or of my eyes, and I overcome the desires of lust. And so when Abraham gets called and says, leave your relatives... Leave your relatives. There's a decision to make, friends. Are we going to keep appealing to our human nature that is bound to Eve, our relative, or are we going to turn and we're going to look to Jesus, our brother, the one who has gone before, and we're going to say, I'm going to take hold of him because I'm going to arise and I'm going to go to a land that I will be shown. I'm going to leave my native land and I'm going to leave my relatives and I'm going to take hold of a greater future. We walk around. I want more of the fullness of God, but don't make me arise. Don't make me get up from this chair. Don't make me leave this house. Don't make me give up my pleasures of Netflix. 
don't make me give up that little chocolate that I have on the side because if I can give in to these small little, these small little temptations, I start to become calloused, cannot move forward. Lastly, the good news is we have been designed to overcome. We have been designed to overcome. Now that we can recognize that God tests us, but he wants us to pass for fullness of life, that the enemy tests us and he wants us to fail, okay, I've got this down. Now that I know that actually there's desires in me that I have to pass through a filter to understand the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, lust and, uh, and pride, and we've got to do all of this stuff, okay, I've got that. But how do we do that? We've been designed to overcome. Revelation chapter 2, 26 to 27. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him, I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Friends, I want to take you back to the creative story. In Genesis chapter 2, God created Adam and Eve with the ability not to sin or with the ability to sin. They were perfect. But what he said to them was this. All of this I give to you. You have authority. You rule the earth and subdue it. God's creative design within humanity is that we will rule and have authority. Then there's a whole lot of stuff that goes wrong in between, that Jesus is busy redeeming, and we live in an age when the Spirit of God is busy redeeming and empowering us to live like that. And it says at the end in Revelation, it says this, that uh, to those who overcome, to those who make it, to those who make it, I'll give you the authority again, because that was always my dream and my desire. But now I believe God to be good because I don't believe that He gives us this promise and then makes it impossible for us to fulfill it. That would just be wicked, not good. And so in the DNA of humanity is the ability to overcome, and that was Jesus' life. Jesus overcame as man, friends. Jesus overcame as man. He was the God-man. But sometimes what we do is we forget that Jesus was tempted as we are tempted. And he overcame in his humanity to show us that it can be done under the influence and the power of the Spirit of God as he submitted himself to this story. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You are not experiencing any weakness that is not uncommon to man and certainly not uncommon to Jesus. Your situation has been experienced by him and known to him. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. What good news. And yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in times to, to grant, find grace to help in a time of need. And so here we go. I'm closing with these two comments on this, that we've been designed to overcome. How did Jesus overcome? If we have left our relatives behind, our native land behind, we are rising, going to the land, we're letting go of even, we're taking hold of Jesus. How did Jesus do it? The moment of his greatest temptation, his greatest test. Before he died on the cross, he went before his father and said, Father, if you can take this from me, The first thing Jesus did was he went to his father. 
This is what happens when we get given, when, when desire and lust and the desires of our flesh come in, we run away from God. Jesus ran to God. You want to walk a life that actually starts coming like a life of fullness and a life of abundance? You've got to come to God, friends. Come to Him. But the second thing, which I think is of equal value, is Jesus says, I can't do this alone. Hey, mates, come with me and will you pray with me? And he takes his friends and they seek God together. The biggest thing I see after 20 years of pastoring is this, that as desires come out, we start to feel shame. As the enemy gives us tests and he starts to, to, uh, to sift us and then guilt and shame and everything gets wrong. What do we do? We pull away from people. We don't run toward people. Jesus, in his biggest test, ran to God with his friends. I want to call you, friends. You want to live a life that is more fully engaged with God? You want to live a life that of a life of abundance, the one that God called you to? You need to run to God, and you need to go with friends. Many people just want to have private meetings with me. Say, so, no, come on a Sunday. We'll talk then. No, 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 just a private. No, 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 come on a Sunday. Come, because there's wholeness in the community. There's healing in the community. There is freedom in the community. Jesus is busy preparing his bride. That's who he has come for. Can we stand together? I want to offer us a response this morning. I want to help us respond. Because sometimes, as I said in the beginning, sometimes we are stuck. And we recognize that there is something else out there. Our eyes are bouncing. We're looking for the way out. And you're saying, Rich, I'm looking for the way out. I just don't know it. Well, I want to I help you take that way out today. The first thing that Jesus did was he ran to his God, to his Father. And so if you are here this morning and you have never put your trust in Jesus... I want to tell you that the start of life is when we, put, we transfer the trust that we have in ourselves to live our lives for all eternity, and we put that trust in Jesus. I've known Jesus for over 30 years. I don't know everything about him. My relationship is still growing. This is not about how much you know. This is just about knowing that he is good. He is the way. He has forgiven you if you will receive his forgiveness. And if you will take hold of Jesus. And so I want to give you that opportunity this morning. This is your way out for those that have never taken hold of Jesus. There are many in this room that have. And once upon a time, they raised their hand to say, yes, I want to put my trust in Jesus. And now this is your moment. If that is you, would you raise your hand and say, I want to transfer the, uh, my trust in myself or in whatever else I'm trusting in. And I want to put it in Jesus. If you've never, never responded to, I'm asking specifically, if you've never responded to Jesus before, you've never put your trust in Him before, but today you say, actually, I'm going to cross that line of putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Greatest decision, greatest decision you have ever made. Jesus, we want to thank you for forgiveness that comes upon us when we take hold of your life. 
We want to thank you, Father, that you accepted what Jesus did. That he paid the price that was due us in order that we may live free. I thank you that these two people that I've seen raise their hands this morning come into freedom and come into life because they transfer their trust from themselves to you. And Spirit of God, we thank you that you now come upon them to lead them into all the life that has been intended for them. I want to ask you two ladies who've raised your hand, would you afterwards, uh, would you come to the front and just come and meet one of the pastors of this church and they'll help you take your next step. Uh, we, want, we want to help you move forward. Then I want to pray for the rest of us that would want to respond to God. We live in an age where we are able not to sin. Do you believe it? We live in an age where Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Do you believe it? What's required is that we would give ourselves to the leading of the Spirit of God, the empowering of the Spirit of God, and that we do it with friends. If you want to say, Rich, I want to do that in greater measure, in greater measure, today again afresh I give myself to you, Spirit of God. I've done it before, I do it again. One of the ways I love to respond is just to raise my hands. It's a sign of vulnerability. You don't have to do that. But uh, if you would, I think just sometimes it's great to arise. To arise. Spirit of God, we give ourselves to you. We thank you that you have not withheld yourself from us. And that this very day, we are empowered to live a life free from sin. And so would you, Spirit of God, would you come and renew our minds? Would you come and renew our hearts? Would you refine our own earthly, fleshly desires that it would look more like Jesus? We give ourselves to you afresh this morning to say we are yours. And we make a commitment to give ourselves to friends. We won't do this alone. Because we are part of the family of God. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus.